0: You are now Doing Less with John and Jeff. It's been a couple weeks since we've recorded one of these, uh, but never forget that we are the kings of doing less, and that's never going (laughs) to change.
1: Those of of you that thought we were exaggerating, (laughs) we called your bluff.
0: (coughs) Never call us out again. Um, Some crazy stuff has happened, though. In the, in the past couple of weeks, uh, the Fed, as always, has done a whole lot, honestly. Uh, I haven't even paid close attention to everything that's gone on with the Fed, because at this point, it just seems like uh, they're just throwing everything they got to to preserve whatever it is they're trying to preserve. Um, yeah. We saw some crazy stuff in the oil market—negative forty dollars oil, at one point, roughly. Yeah. Uh, what else? Um, well, um, yeah, basically
1: last time, last podcast, we were just saying how uh, the Fed is doing everything, <laughs> and I and I, <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of agree with you in in the um, in regards to haven't been really closely following the Fed's like actions as as I was leading up to this uh, this event. Um, and I would say that's mostly because, like, what they're doing now is, like, what we were saying is, right. like, possible. Like, this is actually the Fed's, this is what the Fed's going to do. Um, they're going to just, print, you know, print money is a, is a thing. Um, and, you know, there, there was, like, a side of economists that were kind of, like, no, you know, they're going to be able to unwind QE. Like, the economy's <laughs> healthy. Like, stock market's going up and stuff like that. And just like it shows, like, like the, the recovery from 2008, the Great Recession, uh, was, like, was like really good. The Fed really enacted policy uh, effectively. But uh, I think it's just, I mean, we, this is what, <laughs> this, what's happening now after the coronavirus outbreak. Is what we said would have to happen. What we what we said was gonna happen to prove that that QE was not effective. That it was just patching over the larger issue. So now that they have to do it again, you know, we were saying they're gonna have to do it again. And it's not just us saying it. By the way, it was a lot of people like Peter Schiff and other people mm-hmm. say that uh, this is all gonna be necessary at some point in the future. Um, so the argument that's like kind of like oh no, it doesn't need to happen. It's like I don't really see how you can argue that anymore, because
0: yeah, and it's also like, like there's so much going on. They're making so many like alphabet soup programs, but it's like, to me, the big picture is they're gonna do whatever's they they have to do, and what when I say what they're gonna do, basically the only thing they do is print money. It's the only thing yeah. they're capable of doing. So. Right. I mean, they can't lower interest rates. They could make them go negative, but I don't think they'll do that, um, just because of the optics of it. Um, as it being the reserve currency, for whatever reason, you can print as much money as you want. It seems like, but I, I, there are a lot of people who think um, if they were to go negative on interest rates, that could be that could be really bad um, uh, optics for the. U S dollar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I personally don't really see much of a distinction. Um, both, <laughs> both things are just tools to affect the supply of money and credit. And so right. it, it's kind of like, you know, six of one, a half a dozen of another, it doesn't really matter to me. Um, to me, right. I just look at it. The big picture is they're just going to print as much money as they need to, to try to maintain the status quo. Mm-hmm. and by that i mean it's basically just like asset prices they don't really want to disrupt yeah. asset prices and they've basically shown every they've they've shown us at every turn that this is this is their objective and they're not straying from that so it's to me it's kind of like uh i i feel like i don't need to follow it as closely because it's they're not deviating from the plan, it seems like. It's, it's, it's exactly what we expected. It's just more and more. Yeah, I was seeing a bunch of
1: commentary leading up into this past week. So we're recording this on May the 2nd. Um, this past week was a federal or a FOMC meeting, which is a policy rate decision, um, where Powell, once uh, the, the board of, of um, FOMC voters, decides on what the interest rate policy should be currently at zero uh <laughs> you know th- and then he has a, a press conference to talk about what helped what influenced their decision what they're seeing in the economy um I-, I was seeing a lot of commentary going into this week that was like oh there's a chance that they go negative they you know we mm-hmm. could pull a japan and which japan was negative for a while europe um your Euro, uh, the eurozone the east the ecb was negative um so they're like is is it actually going to happen in the US is the US central bank going to uh, go negative with interest rates? Um and I actually have two things to say about them about that. Uh, one of them is it doesn't it's just not that's just the nominal rate. Right. The real rate is way negative. <laughs> yeah, right? it's already way as negative. Long as long as long as they're, you know, it, they maintain the like the inflation of what they're trying to get 2%, um, it's wait yeah that's the significant thing. like people make such a big deal about the zero lower bound which yeah uh, it, it's like it, the sec, my second point was, was, is going to be kind of a commentary on the actual plumbing of the mm-hmm. uh, the market of the interest rates that are set by the Fed so like the repo market, mm-hmm. the interbank lending market. Um, it's doesn't like at 0% interest, you're basically, you don't lend, like you have no incentive to lend in that market as a bank. So lending basically goes to zero by the time you're, you know, you're at zero. If you go negative, you know, you're already at zero. So banks aren't going to do negative lending. (laughs) So it's almost like it doesn't matter. Like once it's at zero, it's like the, the Fed is saying, don't lend. You have no incentive to lend in this interbank market. You have to go into the economy and lend if you're a bank. Right. You have to take all your reserves and invest in a company or invest in a mortgage or something right. buy something in the economy don't buy it from another bank just to keep the the financial plumbing working so if that's if that rate is zero that's what the fed is saying if it goes to negative it's like okay now it costs you money to go into that market it's like well it already i already have no incentive to be in that market so it's like,
0: <laughs> right there's already it's really no uh, reason to be in it and like right. you brought up a good point like the nominal rate is already uh like the nominal rate is irrelevant because the real rate is a, is already negative, and mm-hmm. the reason for that is because the currency is being devalued rapidly at, by what they're doing, and it's like one thing the Fed cannot change is the time value of money, um, or just the time value of anything essentially is, and what that is is. People have a preference to have things now rather than later, because if you have it now, there's no risk that you won't have it later. Um, And so it's just there's there's nothing the Fed can do to change that. So like they can try to force people to act like, you know, that's not the case, but it, it won't work. It can't work because just people don't behave that way
1: right yeah like there's like a the like philosophical economic argument of like time value money that people kind of pervert when mm-hmm. in this conversation they don't really they say like oh you know n- negative interest rates are a thing usually when people talk about negative interest rates um, that as like oh that makes sense in certain it, in certain situations like Mm -hmm. they're actually conflating it with like just different prices there's obviously prices sometimes when you're lending goods and services um but true true um preference human preference is all things being equal Mm -hmm. i would rather have it today uh than than tomorrow and i and i'm willing to accept less today for the same amount tomorrow um which is just, it's just like a, it's just like a fact of human nature. It's right. It's like not, once you start to deviate that from that, you've you've kind of changed the rules. Right. In my opinion.
0: And like the important thing to know is you said all else being equal, uh, because essentially interest rates are just a price and prices in general aren't negative, but we did see a negative price recently. (laughs) Uh, if you've been paying attention to the oil market at all, um you probably heard a lot of headlines about oil being negative but that's i wouldn't describe it that way i think that's misleading when people say the price of oil went negative because that's Mm -hmm. that's not really true uh what happened is the price the price of oil at a specific location and specific time went negative so that's not all else being equal right if it was all else being equal, it would just be, hey, do you want this oil I have? And you would say, no. And I would say, "I okay, I'll pay you to take it. That would be a negative oil price. But what happened in the oil market was um, essentially a bunch of people wanted to buy oil because it was so cheap, but they weren't buying oil. What they were buying is it called a futures contract. And that contract specified that they would take the delivery of the oil in May, so this month, uh, recording this May 2nd, so the delivery was like May 1st, uh, in Cushing, Oklahoma. And there's a limited amount of place to put oil in Cushing, Oklahoma. So a lot of it got taken up. And when those contracts you know, came due, there was no place to put the oil. And the the exchange that these contracts are traded on has penalties if you don't take delivery. So there's fines you might have to pay, or if you can, if you if you take the delivery but uh, essentially reroute it to some other location, you have to essentially find somewhere else to put it. You know, pay for the um, the shipping, which if you're putting it on a truck is quite expensive. So essentially, that futures contract is no longer just oil, all else being held equal. It's oil that you're gonna have to move to somewhere else. If you can't do that, you're gonna have to pay some sort of fine. And so you can see those costs could end up actually higher than the oil that you're buying. So all wrapped up in a bundle, yes, the oil is still has positive value, but all those other costs make that price of that whole contract negative. So I think that's really how you should think about it.
1: Yeah. So uh, when people want to start t- talking about, like, philosophically, the philosophical difference between a negative oil price and a positive oil price, what you're saying, Jeff, is is pretty clear. It's not like it's not like the market for oil, like a li- It's not that like there's a liquid market for oil where oil itself has this much value, then it's diminishing, diminishing, <laughs> diminishing to the point where it's actually slipping below zero. Now it's negative. <laughs> Right, and just like it was a really liquid market, and just you know, where there was way more sellers than buyers, Mm -hmm. Uh, and so, um, like in that case, like if that were to happen, that would be an unnatural phenomenon, in my opinion. But I, but what what you're describing is that that did not happen, Um, and so in another way, I'll put it like in that liquid market, you know, if the if the market for oil is is very liquid, a lot of buyers and sellers, so the the price. Of oil, the like the the true price, the true market price of oil is actually accurately reflected by, um, you know, just like from uh, buying and selling forces. Um, Once that price goes down and down and down, right? There's more sellers than buyers to the point where it goes to zero. The people that are selling oil at that point, where no one, where where the where, in order to clear your oil, you have to part with it for zero dollars at that point you're indifferent to um your stock hmm. like you don't really care uh for, you, you know once it hits zero you have this oil no one wants it you want to get rid of it and it's going for zero and if you really want to get rid of it you can just leave it there <laughs> you can just walk away right you know or dump it in the dump it in the your backyard or dump it in the ocean or something. <laughs> um, if that so if that's the case if it was like a you know just like this theoretical market for oil at that point, at the zero price, sellers would just start dumping oil. Right. The thing about oil is you can't dump it. It's protected. It's like a, it's a controlled
0: substance. Yeah, it's illegal to dump <laughs> it. If if it's it was illegal legal to dump. to dump oil, that's exactly actually what would have happened. The price would have never gone below zero, uh, because basically what they would have said is, "Oh, my oil. There's nowhere to put it. Okay, just dump it on the ground." Yeah, but uh, you know you right. can't do that. But if you could, yes. that's what people would have done for sure. Right. So when you're talking about the price
1: of oil, okay? So that's actually the limiting bottom limiting case. If it was a, you know, uncontrolled substance. The fact that it is controlled means that you can't do that mm-hmm. and you're facing fines. So so these people that are now indifferent to storing oil are now incentivized by the governing agency that oh, you actually have to face these fines. If you're not able to uh, to to sell your oil, mm-hmm. so the so and the fines are actually you could think of that as like a positive price, like a, there's a positive dollar value that the government is garnering from uh, you know impro- improperly handling oil. Mm-hmm. So the government's placing a positive price, if you will, in that chain of prices, like you were saying, the bundle of prices. Right. Um, so that, you know, and then. Uh, it's just like when that summation of prices to this to the actual seller, it actually does go negative because they're you know they have to they have to cover um, the the price of the of the fines that they would face. Uh, so, so they are incentivized to actually part with money and oil, and that's reflected in the market as a negative price. But the oil oil isn't any less. You know, I don't know if it's like, I, I, it's obviously less valuable because no one wants it but um in terms of like its inherent properties Mm -hmm. well i guess no one's arguing that but um yeah that's just the point it's like it's not like there's ever really a good that could be so unwanted that it goes negative there's other things that kind of play into it
0: right unless like i guess people found out it was like cancerous or something (laughs) and like you like you have to pay people to like come t- take it and like
1: yeah but even then that's like i would say cancer is the like, positive you know that's a i would say price, like yeah.
0: asbestos basically has a negative price right because if you have it in your house you're not indifferent to it you essentially have to pay someone to come take it from you so it's like you could almost argue asbestos has a negative price so it's like i think it, it is theoretically possible but it's only for like things that are unwanted and in my opinion oil is not unwanted except Mm. in this one specific case it happened to be so but in general it is not the case
1: yeah but i think uh, but when you're talking about asbestos there's like external externalities like if you're accounting for externalities in the price you're actually that's more than what just the price is that's like a summation of or a bundle of things like a true negative price would have to be You know i'm i'm building something or offering a good or service and i'm going to market and saying you know take this from me (laughs) with my money
0: yeah i i I, like i agree if like no one no one would produce anything that they're going to then pay people to take from them that wouldn't make any sense but i think if you already have something that's unwanted then i think that that in theory can have a negative price attached to it like I'm, yeah it's like
1: that it's attributed it's i mean it's the same thing with oil it, it was assigned a negative value in the market right. but it's not actually um yeah i don't know i don't know i'm not sure what i'm trying to argue it's just like it's negative prices are like i think it's like people get people get kind of distracted by it. It's like, oh my gosh i could never even imagine a negative oil price until well i've
0: seen it i and think it's like, well yeah a lot of people took this the wrong way because they didn't really read about it very carefully. I see like a lot of people thought this was just because like like this was like a sign that oil is like there's something wrong with oil. Yeah. It's like no, that's not what's happened here. <laughs> there's something wrong with the economy. Yeah, not something wrong with oil. <laughs> yeah, but it,
1: oil is still very much... Yeah, oil is still necessary. very
0: valuable. Uh, it's very abundant right now. Um, but basically... Like, it's just that basically the issue is it takes a while and it's very expensive to build storage. So people just they're not anticipating this lull in demand for oil to last. So there's not really enough incentive to build more storage. So there's really like a a storage shortage right now. And that's that's what's making the price of oil so low is because it's so expensive to store right now just because there's not enough of an incentive to build the storage. If this was a long term lull in the demand for oil, then we would st- we would see storage being created and then the price of oil would go back up. Yeah, I mean,
1: what it, like the other thing, too, that we can kind of talk about is the fact that um, it wasn't like it's not like the, the market where, where there's buyers and sellers that were like trading negative oil. Which I mean, it did happen. Like there was negative, there was oil that changed hands on that day, with a negative price attributed to it. Mm-hmm. But the actual forces weren't just like the the lack of storage. Obviously, was a major force. Mm-hmm. But the 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 force selling that occurred was actually the, I think the main driver of what sent the price down. So, or um,
0: well, it's the expiration date too. It's the fact right, that it, will, it has to be delivered at on this day it's like there's no flexibility
1: it's the futures market which was the the actual because what we saw was we saw oil open up on that monday what was that two weeks ago monday the april 13th one monday in april a couple weeks ago uh you know the market opened up very low it was like $10 it, it, it was $20 the previous Friday. Then it opened up at like 10 and then by 3 p.m. it was like, uh, or by like 1 p.m. it was like negative 40. And then it kind of went back up to the close of the futures market it was, you know, negative 35. It closed at, Right. So, mm-hmm. the, so these futures contracts are much different from just fluctuations in supply and demand of actual, um, buyers and sellers of the of the in the spot market um and if you if you have to sell a bunch of futures at one point you're gonna see massive price decrease because if you're forced to sell which was what happened on that monday Mm. a bunch of entities a bunch of financial entities were holding futures contracts that were expiring which they couldn't take delivery of of the physical oil like for example uh the etf uso was holding about 25% of the futures contracts expiring on that Tuesday, on Monday. So they had to sell all of their holdings, which was like, you know, whenever you sell a quarter of, of all the things that exist in the market <laughs> in one day, you're it's, it's going to see, you know, you yeah. have to get rid of them. And so that's, the, that's the, the thing that drove the price down so far. They had to get rid of these contracts. They couldn't take the, you know, they would be seeing massive, uh, uh, massive penalties that they'd have to pay if they weren't able to, uh, to take delivery of their f- expiring futures contract. Um, so they had to sell it and, and they were, they had to sell it at any price. And so when you have to sell it at any price, that's when you see prices go negative. The next day, you, the, the price went back up to, you know, 10, uh, cause it, cause once that futures contract, the way the, the oil price, um, is, you know, is derived. It's like, uh, it's the is the front month contract right. of futures. So once that front month expires, then the next month is the indicator is the, is right. the ticker. So and,
0: and that's important to know notice too is, is that when people talk about the price of oil, they're really talking about the front month. So the closest month of that of the futures market. So the price of oil is actually not a continuous function. There's like specific times along this function that are um, essentially you can't—they're um, not continuous. So essentially, that when the price of oil hit uh, you know negative thirty-seven or whatever, and then jumped right back up to um, uh, like ten dollars, that's like a non-continuous break because. It you're switching from one contract to the next so it's not really like It's oh the price went from negative 37 one day to ten dollars the next day. No, no, no It's that the second month out was already at ten dollars. It's just no one was looking at it (laughs) Right, so that's another important thing to realize, but this is a good time to mention uh, always read the perspective (laughs) prospectus yeah on anything you buy uh I did right. not <laughs> I had some USO and uh I, I got I yeah. got burned by it I, I was able to get rid of it when I realized what was happening uh but I did not read it closely and I you know I paid the price for that but uh you know <laughs> Live yeah and learn. I mean
1: good for you I, I think it's good for you to say that um you know I was debating before we started recording this to be like oh you know, you, you know, if you're investing in USA, you should have known. It's like, no, I invested in USO. I, if you want to hear, if you want to hear a podcast about an experienced financial or like experienced economist or investor, uh, you know, you don't listen to this one because we're still learning stuff. Too. <laughs> I mean, but I think it's important to 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 come clean and be like, we're, uh, we learned. You know, both of us learned. Um, it's not even that the. It's not even that the ETF USO was doing things that I didn't want it to do. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the futures market is the most efficient, is by far the most efficient way to, to gamble on, <laughs> um, or to speculate on, I should say, speculate on <laughs> future price spied. of oil. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and so, um, but yeah, w- when the futures market becomes illiquid, when there's more sellers and there's no buyers, right, you can get some really wonky things that happen in... Mm-hmm. Um, in in, for example, a an ETF product that is holding futures contracts. Right. Um. So and and I wasn't even aware of things like so. the Reason I'm really taking a, a moment to talk about this is if you're listening to this and you want to learn about investing and stuff from us, hmm. you know what better way than to hear what we <laughs> learned <laughs> ourselves by losing money? Um. I I learned that when 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 oil the market for oil. So obviously Jeff was talking about the futures contracts, the front month, the one month out you know, three months out, six months out, you, you can buy futures at any, any expiry, you know, to the nearest month, um, holding USO, the ETF that basically holds all of its assets under management in futures contracts, like as close to the front month as possible in order to efficiently track the, uh, the, the price of oil as close as possible, uh, you know, to imitate the spot market, what it's doing. Um, and if you're holding your asset, if you're, if you have, uh, shares of, of that ETF, if you have shares of USO and it is rolling over futures contracts, um, and for example, the, the futures curve for oil is, is super contango, which means that it's, uh, the front month is way lower than the one month out, which is lower than the two months out, which is lower, you know, it's an upward sloping curve that basically means that every time you're rolling futures contracts, you're actually l- selling low and buying high for the same kind of, you know, for the right. same kind of future at a different, a different expiration. So, so in essence, if you're holding a contract that does that uh, and it's in the markets in super contango, you're actually just losing money by holding that, 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 uh, that rolling strategy. So it's like, i didn't even realize that i thought i was just you know mimicking the price of oil right um so you know but i learned that fact about the oil futures and you
0: know yeah what's funny is like like i actually had a good understanding of the futures market and i saw this trouble coming because of the fact that there was no because i actually worked closely in the uh oil storage market and so I was aware that there was a lack of storage in, in Cushing, and I was aware that, you know, we could see some crazy stuff happening with the futures market. But I was just too lazy to understand <laughs> right. how USO was handling, like, you know, I, I, which hilarious is I should have known, <laughs> you know, that this was mm-hmm. the most logical way they are tracking the price of oil. But I just never really put much thought into it. And so it's just like, you know, just... It's important to do your homework. That's all. <laughs> Just yeah. like don't be lazy. <laughs> so if you can learn from us,
1: I mean that's worth it. We, yeah, it's spreading information that way. Um, but uh, so I guess to 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 wrap up or to to uh, to bring back the first topic in in um, as it relates to our second topic, uh, topic. We talked about the Fed, what they're doing. Um, and then we're talking about oil, what it was doing. Now, the Fed actually came out. Actually, it was Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, was saying that they're actually looking into buying uh, oil and oil oil storage and uh, I think stimulating or whatever, bailing out the oil some, well, certain oil companies.
0: The government has a ton of cavern storage. St- and what cavern storage is is just... It's basically a hole in the ground that you can put oil in, um, and the government has a lot of it uh, available, and so they're either gonna just like lease out that space for like cheap, I assume, for people to, uh, you know, put oil in, so that more buyers can come in and basically bail out the price of oil, because mm-hmm. uh, if there's cheap storage, then there'll be more buyers in the market, and the price of oil will go back up. So, if they basically give out this cavern storage, they don't necessarily have to buy oil themselves. The price will naturally go up. But they have looked into actually even buying oil too. Right. Which is honestly not the worst thing they, they could do. <laughs> I, like, I'm pretty mm-hmm. cool, critical of the government, but like right now, our government's biggest asset is student debt so if they if if an asset that they're sitting on is oil, I actually don't hate that
1: <laughs> yeah yeah I mean I everything I've learned about the Fed and my research and you know this these past couple of months um they really they really are, are st- they stress like events events that occur that kind of threaten the overall economic functioning of society mm-hmm. Um, they want to step in and prevent those things. I mean, I don't think that, I don't think you can prevent some of those things. Mm -hmm. Obviously what we're seeing is a massive supply and demand shock Mm -hmm. to our economy. So it's like for an entity to come in and say, this is no one's fault. Therefore no one should have to suffer. Mm -hmm. It's kind of misguided in my opinion. Um, but that is what they do. That's just what they're kind of That's what their mantra is kind of like, if it's not your fault, uh, you know, we we we'll, we'll try our best to to make sure you don't you don't uh, aren't negative negatively affected from it. Which,
0: well, to yeah, me, we, we we it's like not a question of should; it's like question of can. Like right, like can they? It's like, oh, this isn't your fault. Well, you shouldn't have to suffer. Well, me saying you shouldn't have to suffer counts for nothing. It literally. Yeah. That's, Anyone can just say that it it counts for literally nothing. What matters is can, can do I have the capacity to help you? Like, I personally think I have the capacity to help a couple other people other than myself. <laughs> that's that's probably as <laughs> right. a, as productive as I am is is to help a few other people other than myself. Uh, you know, so I I obviously. Me personally cannot bail out a thousand people I am not that productive. I can't do that So my point is there are limits to which an individual can help other people and Therefore there are limits to how much a collection of individuals or our society can help you know other individuals in that society so when they're talking about no one should have to suffer that's you're basically saying no amount of discomfort is 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 allowed and will help anyone that ever needs help it's like that's not possible in my opinion
1: yeah so that's a great point um and when it comes to this situation uh yeah, you're exactly right. If they have cavern storage to, to you know, lease out or whatever mm-hmm. they're going to do with it, you know, that could be helpful. Mm-hmm. You know, we have more oil than uh, we have storage. So if, if we don't want to cut down our oil production, which may be very, very costly, there may be many financial entities or, you know, oil companies say many entities out there have an incentive to not decrease oil production because it's like sometimes it's way more expensive to start back up than Mm. it is to you know shut down um so to maintain above like a certain you know number of barrels of oil production Mm -hmm. they may be incentivized to like yeah i'll pay this other vendor that has like this massive amount of extra. yeah you can actually help in that situation the government can do that right um but when it comes to something like uh USO for example an ETF which is blown up and it's really no one's fault like like I said I did say this the USO is not it was not operating you know uh,
0: like wrongly I guess you could say It, it was doing something that worked I mean I would say there's like there's blame there's blame in the in the sense that there are too many buyers of USO without understanding Right. That there's not enough storage to fulfill this demand. So right, it so, was it was well, a collective lack of understanding. I yeah, wouldn't say that's definitely fault.
1: Well, no, I I would say that's people's fault. I would definitely that's say That's what that. I'm saying. Like if I you would don't say understand. that's people's fault. Right. So but I'm I'm saying that instances where it's no one's fault. Like so
0: for example Like coronavirus if, is no one's fault, except maybe that guy that ate right. the bat. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. Um, if you, if you look at the investors of USO that understood what was going on, you know, uh, yeah, I want to buy, don't even talk about USO, talk about futures contract speculators, mm-hmm. you know, retail speculators in futures markets, mm-hmm. right? What are they doing? They're doing something that's, uh, it's actually a necessary financial or not necessary, but it's an efficient finance financial pro, um, it's a, it's an efficiency added to the to the to that market you know the the price of oil is more accurately priced more efficiently priced with more financial uh speculators and uh arbitrageurs so you know that's like people engaging that it's like okay that you know we agree that's a good thing um when there's an exogenous shock like the coronavirus those financial speculators turn into financial perverter you know it, it perverts the market as opposed to the same people who were adding efficiency to the market are now perverting the market mm-hmm. in a way that it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for this thing that no one could have predicted um well not to say that no one could have predicted you know you can always predict for random events like this you know that's why speculating in the financial market is so risky um but those risks According to okay so I'll put, according to the Fed, you know those risks should not have had to been bared by those financial arbitrageurs, right? I I don't even know if this is what they're saying publicly yet. They've said they're thinking about it. They haven't really bailed out any oil companies specifically or ETFs like USO or you know the futures market. It's kind of still remained functional. Mm-hmm. But um for if okay if this were to happen, this is what they would say. You know it's no one's fault that these financial uh, speculators in the in the futures markets uh, got their asses chewed out <laughs> based on this <laughs> this exogenous because it very well might happen again this month like the same thing that happened last month when the contract expired could happen again this month if the storage problem hasn't been addressed which it really well hasn't unless the government storage
0: I assume more people are aware of it so it'll probably not be as severe unless I'm completely wrong I mean maybe people are completely oblivious. And there's, I mean, USO,
1: it has to hold front month. Well, that's the know.
0: thing is like USO is like not like it's 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 having like sanctions. It's not letting people buy more of it. Right. Because
1: or no, you, you can buy more of it. You just it doesn't issue more shares. Right. That's an, or like the assets under right. management isn't changing. It's
0: I'm just I, I know USO right now is not it's basically it's realizing not, it cannot handle uh, the demand that it's getting. Because it's not, basically, people buying USO, what they want is oil. But instead, what they're buying is the front month of oil in certain locations. And so there's a, there's a disconnect between the people buying USO at, or, and what they understand that there is they're buying. Like, they're thinking of it just conceptually as, a, oh, I'm buying oil, but that's not what they're doing. And that disconnect is causing a problem. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so for the Fed, essentially what I'm saying, so that's a good way to put it, essentially what I'm saying is the Fed would say, you're not, like, those investors are not responsible for that disconnect. <laughs> what they were doing was 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 fair game, but they were not, like, the way they were operating, uh, That because of that disconnect, they're actually getting worse off than they, they otherwise should have. So the, the Fed would actually be able to use that to step in. Like, that's, like, you know, 13.3C or whatever in their mandate they, they can step in and like help out financial
0: yeah fed um, give me my money back
1: yeah right <laughs> yeah so um i the point of the point i was like trying to go on or the point i guess what i'm trying to say is um if the fed can help yeah if the fed has more storage, then yeah you can bail out <laughs> these oil right supply suppliers that are strapped or oil um yeah producers that are are unable to sell their oil that they're 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 generating but um if the fed can't do that if they're just gonna buy you know inject more money into the system right uh
0: that doesn't do anything
1: it doesn't yeah
0: like in one we're talking about real wealth we're talking about oil storage that is right that is real wealth that's something of value a place to put oil has value that's real wealth the government actually has that. It has. It's sitting on a stockpile of real wealth. So if it just gives that out, that's actually a bailout. That's a true bailout. That is. Mm-hmm. That is the government giving out its assets to help people. That is an example where a bailout can actually work. Rick. What the Fed does is not that. They create money, which is not real wealth. It's just a proxy for real wealth. And it has limits to what it can do. So they're not actually creating any additional real wealth. They're just creating more proxies. And that's just going to cause more problem. But uh, you're mentioning risk. And I wanted to say something about that. Um, I was joking how, yeah, like, oh, I lost money on USO. You know, give me my money back, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Fed. But this idea I'm seeing more and more of, People acting like there should be no risk in society, right? Like, oh, it's it's not your fault. Like, you shouldn't have to bear the cost of that. Like, it doesn't matter. There's just, there's risk in everything. We shouldn't, we shouldn't desire a world in which there's no risk. Because if there's no risk, there's no return. They go hand in hand. If you eliminate all the risk, you eliminate all the... The yield you can have all the benefit you can have for for taking risks so like if there's no risks to take then there's no there's no gains to be made we're like living in a is that like a world we want to live in where it's just Mm -hmm. you know everything about the future is decided for us already and there's there's nothing we have in our own power to do to like make it better for ourselves like that just seems like an awful existence to me in which there's no risks to take there's no, like there's none that means there's no there's mm-hmm. no like i don't know like everyone who's ever had like a cool idea and wanted to pursue it it's like that's a risk but if you just say oh no one's going to bear any risk then everyone's going to just do whatever it is they want to do and then we're all going to just there's going to be no meaning to any of it cuz we're all just going to bear the costs equally and so mm-hmm. if you have a good idea or a bad idea, it doesn't matter. It's We're all just in this like uh, homogeneous mixture of people just doing <laughs> whatever they want. And we all just bear the costs of everyone's actions equally. Mm-hmm. Like that seems awful. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, and I would expand that because when you say they want to reduce or when you say they want to eliminate risk, I would actually say that that goal to eliminate risk is actually just risk suppression. Like you're not actually eliminating right. it. You're just covering it with maybe you're smoothing volatility. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're bailing out in otherwise uns- insolvent company. Mm-hmm. All of that is just risk suppression. You're not actually making the system less risky. Right. You're just foregoing risk today for potentially more risk or different risk in the future, um, which is not like better in any way. It's just, diff- you know, it's just differently. It's just like a, if you live in a world like Jeff is t- saying, like this nebulous, like no risk society, um, you know, everyone just like, you know, it kind of sounds like a communist society. Like, oh, no, there's no risk. Like everything's paid for. You just like, get, do what you want, like produce what you can and everyone else will produce for you. And it's just like there's nothing bad that can happen. It's like, well, you know, we all know that communists, <laughs> communism is like terribly, terribly dangerous and violent and destructive
0: yeah so there's a lot of horrible. risks <laughs>
1: so that's like a lot of really yeah it's just like the, the risk is different it's not a risk of oh am i going to start a business and succeed you know there i don't have that risk in a communist society
0: i i uh yeah
1: i just have the risk that you know if i'm not doing what according to my quota up uh, you know the the kgb is going to come <laughs> and shoot me you know that's like that's a much different risk you, you could say oh you have no risk in your day to day life it's like well yeah I do <laughs> right that's a lot of risk it's just not what you were considering risk before and yeah a different- it's
0: it's just a different kind of risk exactly so yeah like I, just this the, a lot of the rhetoric I think that we're seeing is just i I don't know where it I' don't, i it just seems so misguided to me I don't yeah I don't really understand where it's coming from um I, I guess there's just too much idealism out there. I don't, I don't know, but yeah. it's, it's like a lot of people have forgotten that scarcity is real. You know, we can't have everything mm-hmm. we want. There's a limit, you know, and it's just like, we got to live in the real world. That's just, we can't, we can't have everything we want. There's just trade-offs. There's always trade-offs.
1: Right. right. Yeah. I, I would just, to, to just kind of wrap it up. Um, I guess the last thing I'll say is just, uh, People think that this policy works because, like, they, you look at two thousand eight, and this is what they did: they bailed out the financial institutions that were taking risks they didn't know they were taking. So it's like, oh, are, is it? Are they at fault? You know, some say, oh, no, they're not at fault. Others say, yeah, they're at fault, but we can't let them, you know, exercise the or realize the consequences of those risks because if they do, then our, you know, our deposits. All the all the citizens' deposits in these financial institutions go away because they have to de- declare bankruptcy, declare insolvency. Um, so it's like it's not fair to uh, to treat them as as having risk potential. You know, you have to treat them as like a Fed subject to Fed bailouts. So they say, oh, okay, we'll do that. Let's try it out. And ten years later, here we are, mm-hmm. and they say it worked. You know, right? Pe- people look at Ben Bernanke as like this. Some people think, you know, he got, like, the man of the year or whatever. Like, people think he was, like, this brave, like, bold, courageous economist to go out on a limb and mm-hmm. save the economy. It's just like, we are at a point right now, I just read this number, after the latest unemployment or initial jobless claims, which is, like, we're up to, like, 30 million, which is 10% of the country. Um, we are back at a, a jobless level, or I guess you'd say at a job level. Before two thousand eight, <laughs> right. So it's like everything that was everything that happened uh, after two thousand eight, um, or I'm I'm sorry, we we're at the level after two thousand eight, after the crash. We 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 gained a bunch of jobs in the ensuing quantitative easing period, the boom in the stock market, you know, the bull run of ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, after these jobless, we're back to the point before all this crazy this crazy financial policy, the monetary policy. So it's like, did it work? Like everyone was so happy to say it worked. It's like, we're back to square one. Mm-hmm. we got to redo everything. We, and we've, we've already outdone all that monetary easing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all, it's, it's, it's been exponentially increasing. So it's like, uh, it's like hard for me to say, well, it's always been hard for me to say this, but I just, I, I wish more people would realize that it's like, it's uh, it wasn't, a it wasn't a deletion of risk it was a foregoing of risk kicking the can down the road right that we're now realizing and then some with additional economic hardships
0: yeah um i think maybe next time uh on the show we can talk more about uh ray dalio has put out mm. he's putting out this his new book like one chapter at a time um and I have personally found it very fascinating. Um, and one of the things he talks about a lot is um, in in big societies, he labels them as empires, but the, the labels are not important. Um, essentially empires build up a lot of credit, both in their own empire and with the rest of the world that they interact with. And so, you know, anytime you have credit, you have risk, right? Just Saying credit is basically like, here, I'll give you this now and you'll pay me back later even more. And it's just anytime you do that, that's risk. And so essentially when there's a lot of credit, there's a lot of risk. And so when things turn sour, like we're seeing, a lot of credit starts to dry up. But what credit does is it generally leads to Uh, more wealth, at least initially, you can essentially have too much credit. And that's what we're seeing now. But, you know, at first, more credit, more wealth, right? And so once credit starts to dry up, that's very painful. And there's a lot of incentive for people to try to like replace the credit. And I think that's what the Federal Reserve is trying to do. It's just trying to keep the credit level where it's at, but it's just, it can't, like, eventually, it's going to fall apart. And one of the things Ray Dalio has noted is, we've been here before. Uh, Not America's, well, I guess America in like the 1940s somewhat has been here before. Um, But more so other major empires have been here before. And so I think... That's worth its own podcast I uh, that we can talk about it more, but um, I'm more and more starting to see this as kind of inevitability is we put ourselves in this place and there's only one, there's really only one way out because the other way out is default. And just as Ray has kind of shown through his research, default never happens. It's it's basically always inflation. That's that's always how it ends. Mm-hmm. Um, and John John and I have definitely uh, gone back and forth on this idea about you know whether is it po- is it even possible for society to I guess have the wherewithal to just to just know that inflation is the worst option and just not take that route even though it's the easy way out um Mm -hmm. and i guess we can discuss that more yeah uh, on another episode but
1: in the context of like this conversation it's like every time you don't default you're like oh we eliminated risk but Mm -hmm. it's like every time you you avoid default with just the addition of inflation it's like that's just more risk in a different manner so it's like um yeah, it's actually yeah, I, adding
0: I more risk into the system every time you right. replace default with more credit, because default is the is it's de-risking, right? Right. Like once you take credit off the table that you know is bad credit, it's like oh okay, we're de-risking. We're you know, but like mm-hmm. if you just replace that with more credit, you're adding more risk into the system. So you're just making the collapse bigger and bigger.
1: Right. So yeah, that'll be maybe next time, um, but for now. I think we're. I think we got a good episode.
0: Yeah. Cool. All right. You stay classy, San Diego.